the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your faith is deeply personal. You're not going to get to heaven because of your mom or daddy's faith. It's a personal decision you make that results in a personal relationship. It's deeply personal, but it's never intended to be private. God wants you to bring others along. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. God's best for you begins right where you are. Don't wait for another moment. Don't think you've got to be called to a mission field or even go on a mission trip or or do something you've never done. God's best for you begins right where you are. That's where he found these guys. We found Nathanael in verse 45, and he said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's a negative Ned, right? We know those people. You go to talk to them about the difference that Jesus has made in you, and they always turn it negative. So somebody's... Somebody's sitting here, somebody's watching or listening to this today, and and you're thinking, well, the one I would think about, they're not going to be receptive because they're always negative. Well, keep listening, because Nathaniel was negative. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I wouldn't go to that church. Bunch of hypocrites over there. So Philip said to him, come and see. Have we heard that before, come and see? Yeah, Jesus just said it. All I'm asking you to do is just follow the Jesus model. Just come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? Hey, maybe you need to be reminded today. Hopefully not if you're watching this or you're in church. But maybe you need to know he knows you. He knows everything. I don't know you. I mean, I know some of you a little bit, but your spouse probably doesn't know you. He knows you. And then Jesus says something kind of funny. If you continue reading, he says, I saw you under the fig tree, big guy. And the reason that's kind of funny is because he's saying, I I was there when you were saying nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He knows you. And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now listen to this. Jesus then says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you say that? Do you believe? Oh, you're going to see greater things than these. 
And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage we read. The very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. That's pretty important, first words. The first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are these words. What are you seeking? Now that sounds kind of funny. Our tendency is to think, oh, you messed that up, Jesus. Didn't you mean to say, who are you looking for? And yet Jesus deals with something right here in this passage that speaks to the problem of everyone in society. It's a problem of some of us gathered here today. We're looking for something when we should be looking for someone. We're looking for the wrong things. What what are you seeking? I love music. And you listen to popular music even today and you recognize that it tells the story often of people who have not discovered that which they are seeking. But there's some old classic songs that tell us that, right? Like you're looking for love and all the... Wrong places. Or or that great song that that was big when I was coming along that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you found what you're looking for? What are are you seeking? I, 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 I sometimes fight this. But I'm a church nerd. I, I grew up in church. I, I've been around this all my life. And it only makes sense as I, as I look at the impact, the salt and light difference that the church with a big C makes on our cultures. It only makes sense that a lot of us, even who gather together, we, we've come seeking a what, not a who. And we, we've not understood that if we find the who, he will give us the what. But we're, we're seeking after the wrong things. And so the reality is, we haven't gotten the real thing. I want to give you three simple ways from this passage to apply this to your personal life. And I'm speaking as if you're a Christ follower. Some of you are not. Some of you are sitting here as somebody that loves you they're one. Maybe you're very religious. Maybe you've been in church a bunch. But you're their one. They're praying that God would kick down the walls. That God would shine the light. And, and so I want you to listen. But at the end of this time together, there's going to be a different response for you than it is for those who are already Christ followers. So here's the first thing. Every Christ follower should involve those around them as they take their spiritual journey. So we're on this journey with Jesus, right? That's what they began to do. That was the command of Jesus to all the disciples who came after him. Follow me. Say, follow me. So if I'm following someone, I'm on the journey with them. Say, I'm on a journey with Jesus. That's what this is. And what I'm telling you is, if you're on a journey with Jesus, it's his expectation that you're involving other people in the journey. 
maybe I need to remind you of this. Yes, your faith is deeply personal, but it was never intended to be private. So it's personal. You're not going to get to heaven because of your mama or daddy's faith. You're not going to get to heaven because you joined some big church. You're you're not going to get to heaven uh, because you hung out with a particular crowd. It's a personal decision you make that results in a personal relationship. It's deeply personal, but it's never intended to be private. God wants you to bring others along. That's what John was doing, right, when we're introduced to him in this whole first chapter. He was bringing others along. Now, his methods were a little out of the box. I'm not suggesting that you go around witnessing like John the Baptist. People may baker act you. They may put you in the hospital and say, you need help. But I am suggesting that you understand what he understood. He understood his purpose. He was the forerunner of Jesus. It was his job to point other people to Jesus. And so he did it emphatically. The very first verse we read, verse 35 says, behold. It's like he was shouting, hey, listen up, watch, there he is. The Lamb of God. It's kind of a repeat of verse 29. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, when you point people to Jesus, you're making it clear who Jesus is, what he did, and and why that matters. Who is he? he? He's the Lamb of God. Everyone would understand this because the people that he was around had come up in that Jewish system. And in that Jewish system, a lamb had significant importance, and it had had significant importance ever since the Passover lamb. Ever since God had spared his people in that plight out of, G- out of Egypt. And so they would understand the significance of the lamb. The lamb was one that would go to the slaughter. The lamb was one that would be sacrificed on the altar. The lamb was one who would give his life sacrificially, substitutionally for them. Behold. The Lamb of God. But what does the Lamb of God do? He takes away the sins of who? The world. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That the message of the gospel, the, the, the hope of Jesus applies to everybody? Regardless of nationality? Regardless of ethnicity? That God, that Jesus the Christ looks at everyone in the same way? As the old country preacher says, the ground being level at the foot of the cross. We all have the same deep need for our sins to be taken away. And and so what Jesus offered, John is saying, hey, this is effective for everybody. But it's only efficient for those that respond. See, everybody's not a child to God. I think Oprah's done a lot of good things, but when people like Oprah say we're all God's children, that's not biblical. Because the biblical motto is that you become a child of God when you're adopted in his family. Now, let me make sure you understand that because that is not an unloving statement. We are all God's creation. Every one of us are created in his image. And the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that he knits us together. I, I heard this week that means... That means that you were handmade. So God cares about every single one of us. We're his creation, created to become his children. 
but we only become his children when we understand this need that our sins be taken away and that we trust him and we become a part of his family. It is for everybody, but it's not automatic. And, and here's the problem when it comes to this subject we're dealing with. We live as if we think it's automatic. Many of us who are Christians, we are what we would call practical universalists. You live your life as if your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, they're going to heaven regardless of what you do. Think about it this way. If that person, if your classmate, if your coworker, if your neighbor was the Christian and you were the non-Christian and they had the same fervency for the gospel that you have, is there any chance that you would come to know Jesus because of their testimony? Many of us live as if we think everybody's going to get it. Why does it matter what we do? We're not John the Baptist. What, what I'm saying to you is just it's biblical, regardless of your walk, to involve those around you in your journey. It's unbiblical if you're on the journey and those around you don't recognize it. So let me make this practical, okay? One of the things we can do is just ask permission. You ask questions that ask permission to talk about the things that matter in your life. And Jesus gave us one of the best questions, right? What are you seeking? That's a good place to begin. Most of the people you're friends with that are in your concentric circles of concern, if you ask them, hey, what matters to you? What matters most to you in life? What, what are you after in life? Just something like that. If you want to do it a little differently, ask them for permission to talk about spiritual things. Hey, would it be okay if we have a spiritual conversation? Would it be okay if I ask you a spiritual question? Occasionally, somebody will say, no, I've had that happen. Guess what? They're not rejecting you. It's okay. You haven't done anything wrong. This week, I was with a couple of friends, and we were at a local restaurant, and we were just small talking before we ordered, and the waitress came up, and, and we ordered. And I, I don't always do this. I I wish I did this every time I was in a restaurant. I don't. But when I'm prompted, I, I try to be obedient. And so I looked at her name tag. I, I called her name and I said, hey, in just a minute, so-and-so and so-and-so and I, we're, we're going to say a prayer and kind of a prayer of blessing for our food. I just wonder, is there anything going on in your life that we can pray about? She didn't miss a beat. She said, absolutely, my brother. I said, great, what's going on with your brother? She told me. I said, tell me his name. And I repeated his name and said, we're about to pray for him. And then I said, hey, it doesn't look real busy. You want to hang out here a second and just pray with us? She said, I would love that. So we took a minute and prayed. And guess what? Of course, I prayed for her brother by name. She was so grateful. She walked away. And the person I was with just said, thank you. I, I, I didn't really know it was that easy. I've wondered how I do this, how I take those steps, how I share my witness, and, and you just gave me a practical example. I, that's what I want you to hear. You can do this. You don't have to have a seminary training. You, you don't have to have uh, completed all the classes of vacation Bible school. In fact, you know what I figured out, one of the crazy things about church? Sunday school is the only school you never graduate from. I mean, you're never going to get enough, according to us. So you don't have to have all that. 
Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Hey, let me give you something else you can do. Now, I want you to understand You don't have to have a special program to do what I just said. But I want you to save this day. Coming up at the end of the month, on August 24th, we're going to huddle together again and just teach through at least one practical way for you to share your faith. Very simple, something you can learn and apply in just an hour or so. And then you can take it with you. And then you can just share that in a couple minutes, anytime, every day of your life. See, when we involve others in our spiritual journey, it opens the door for us and for them to begin to think about spiritual things. So what was the response of the two disciples after Jesus was brought to their attention by John? They began to follow Jesus. But I want you to see something. At first, they didn't surrender their lives to Jesus. Even after they were following after. Remember, they said, what he, Jesus said, what do, you, what do you seek? And they kind of blew him off and said, oh, where do you live? And Jesus said, come and see. And so they began to follow. It was after that that they acknowledged that he was the Christ. See, if you can get people to surrender a moment, God will do the rest. He'll get them to surrender their lives. That's not your job. You're not going to change anybody. You can't change the person that knows you best. But the Holy Spirit of God can, and he does. I want to remind you, he can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. You got to decide, are you making the most of the moments? So Jesus made the invite, come and see. And that's our second thing. You got to invite. Every Christ follower should invite those they know to follow Jesus with them. That's where it starts. Just a simple invitation. One invitation. Jesus invited Andrew, and Andrew invited his brother. And on the day of Pentecost, his brother stood up and invited everybody gathered. And 3,000 people began a relationship with Christ. But it all started with one. Who's your one? You got their name down yet? This idea, this concept was kind of started with a pastor who now leads our denomination. His name's J.D. Greer. Watch this short message from him. Numbers. 
We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So when you get your one and you invite them, what are you inviting them to do? Well, you're inviting them to Christ for sure. But I, I want to recognize, because some of you think that is more difficult than it is, you don't have to start there. You can invite them to church. Now, you need to begin with, hey, we're not a perfect church. By the way, if, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. We're not a perfect church, but, you know, if you invite them here, guess what they're going to hear? They're going to hear an invitation to Christ. Some of you say, well, no, the Bible says we invite them to Jesus, not to church. Well, let me just tell you something. In the New Testament, Jesus was physically with them in the Gospels, right? He was with them in body. What is the body of Christ today? It's the church. Invite them to church. Invite them into your community. I hope that you're engaged in a community group. I've got friends in the room that have walked through challenging times, and they would tell you that if it were not for their community group, they don't know how they would be making it through. Invite them, invite them, invite them. 85% of the people in our culture that come to Christ do so after an invitation to church. Who have you invited? Well, Andrew began with his family. You know, the truth is... Uh, some of us need to start there. We need to begin with our family. And I know what some of you are thinking. Our family is the hardest to reach. Is it? Should it be? I mean, shouldn't those that know us the best see the change the most? So, shouldn't they see Jesus in us? So my question is, when you're thinking about your one, do you have a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a grandchild that needs Jesus? You say, I don't know. You don't know? I, mean, I, I want to go back. Do you believe the things we teach in this church? Everybody's going to spend forever somewhere. How could you not know about the ones that you love the most? Oh, preacher, I'm scared I'm going to run them off. My friend Johnny Hunt says, run them off. What are you going to run them off to? Hell number two? This is life and death. This is forever. Who's your one? Why are we not inviting people to Jesus? Billy Graham said all of his ministry that one of the reasons is because the church is filled with people that don't really have a relationship with Christ. He, he got great controversy in his ministry when he said he thought 
perhaps as many as 60% of the people in the church are not truly saved. I was with one of our dear friends this week, and we were just sitting talking about life. And he said, Pastor, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I sit in church and I think about what we're called to do and the difference we're supposed to make. And I just wonder, are one in five of us that sit in the seats, do one in five of us really have a relationship with Jesus? Billy Graham says, the, the church used to be a force for evangelism. Now we're a field for evangelism. And, and so maybe, maybe today you need to respond. You need to recognize that you're somebody's one and you need to begin that relationship with Christ. Well, Andrew's the inviter, man. He, he was inviting Peter to Jesus. The second time we see Andrew, you know what he's doing? He's bringing the little boy to Jesus to feed the 5,000. Did you know that was Andrew? The third time in the Bible we see Andrew. He, he's bringing the Greeks to Jesus. Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing to Jesus? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.